Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. We are halfway through the football season, and basketball is back into full swing. And BetOnline remains your number one spot for all the basketball and football action this season. Head to the new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Use promo code BLEAV50, B-L-E-A-V-50, to receive your bonus today. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. BetOnline, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night, however and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast live on the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live because it's a podcast. Welcome, 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 everybody. It is November 10th, according to my count. May not be that according to your count, but we appreciate you stopping in anyways. Uh, Just as a quick side note here to break character a bit, I've gotten so good at that intro that it just is like second nature for me at this point. It feels so good every day to just release that. It gives me that little uh, burst of dopamine or burst of adrenaline or whatever the hell chemical in my body it is, but it feels great every time I drop it. So thank you for stopping in, everybody. Might not be November 10th, but we appreciate you stopping in anyways. Download, leave a five-star review. Doesn't have to be a nice review, just has to be five stars We have an A block here today, and that A block revolves around two stories. Should we do the Odell Beckham one or the Sam Darnold one first? Let's flip a coin here and find out. I have a a quarter next to me. It is a, uh, ooh, a fun quarter. It is a 2011 Olympic quarter. Not sure what Olympic is, but it's got deer and some mountains in the background. It looks really cool. Ah, this is a great quarter. All right, heads means Sam Darnold, tails means Odell Beckham. Hopefully you heard that in the background. It is heads. All right, let's talk Sam Darnold real quick here. So Sam Darnold is now going to be out for an extended period of time. Um, This is, I guess, the second or third year in a row now, if you count the mono year that Sam Darnold has missed extended time and now he's doing it with two separate teams. And, and you heard me talk about Sam Darnold a couple weeks ago where I felt like this was the end of times for Sam Darnold. There wasn't really much he had left in the tank. But even still, uh, it, it, it was we'd seen Sam Darnold. He, he is what he is at this point. It's kind of like Marcus Mariota where he's going to kind of disappear for a couple of years, go be a backup somewhere, an option that we prepare for in the event there's an injury. Not that he's bad, but it's just the same place that like Mitchell Trubisky was at or Teddy Bridgewater was at, where the talent's there. He's a fringe starter teetering towards backup in the NFL, and 
he's going to go try and Bridgewater his way to have some poor team pay him a bunch of money to be his, their starter. Um, Jameis Winston did it. And now he got, well, before the ACL tear, got to run the New Orleans Saints. And uh, Teddy Bridgewater got a contract from the Panthers and then got to go play for the Denver Broncos while the Panthers paid that contract and paid $25 million over two years to Darnold and decided to give up a second and fifth rounder for Sam Darnold. So not great, but even still, Carolina sees this as a fully formed quarterback at this point. Darnold's going to go somewhere else after this, and P.J. Walker's going to play, but the Panthers' season was pretty much done at this point anyways. Well, all of this just kind of goes to signify the point that we know who Sam Darnold is at this point. Uh, no longer we need to wait and see where Sam Darnold is going to end up on the uh, wait-to-see list of the NFL quarterback tiers list. Sam Darnold is a fully-formed quarterback, and he's closer to Mitchell Trubisky, which is still like one of the better backups in the NFL. Like I think Pittsburgh would be perfect for Sam Darnold at this point because they can make the transition. I thought Pittsburgh would have been perfect for Marcus Mariota two years ago. And Mariota is still coming in on that occasional run play package for the Raiders. I saw him against the Giants this week, and I, I forgot that he wasn't on IR anymore. And it was kind of cool to have that one moment a year where Mariota stepped in. And last year it was when Carr got hurt on the Thursday night game against the Chargers. And Mariota got to step in and have like a revival performance that if he had a couple more and Carr had been out for an extended period of time, Mariota would have probably gotten one of these starting jobs for like Washington or something this offseason where someone was going to pay him a nice little salary. The Raiders are paying him a nice salary too. Like I think Mariota with incentives is making something like $11 million this year. So the Raiders are paying like upper tier backup money for Marcus Mariota because that's kind of what he is at this point is there there may be 32 starting openings in the NFL, but there's really only about 24 to 25 starting caliber quarterbacks in the NFL and everyone else is a fringe starter or in the case of Taylor Heineke and Ryan Fitzpatrick backups who happen to be starting for bad offenses or, you know, not so great teams. So that kind of is where that territory resides. And you can pay a little bit up for Sam Darnold at this point. He's only, I think, going to make $18 million next year or $17 million, something like that on the fifth-year option for Darnold. But even still, someone's going to go pick him up. This is uh, the time where I know we rode off the Bears yesterday, and we did a little bit of this on NFL Monday because that Panthers game went so poorly. But at this point, since Darnold's going to be gone for five weeks and we're not going to get to play the Magical Revenge Tour music, I think at this point we can kind of just acknowledge that this is the formed version of Sam Darnold. Uh, And I guess best of luck to you, as uh, we discussed on the IG yesterday, is that the Sam Darnold trend is bad football for 10 weeks and being out for six weeks. And he's now done it across two different teams. He is as formed as he can be at this point. And uh, that means, Sam Darnold, welcome to the Bridgewatering campaign. We know uh, Jameis Winston's gone through it. Teddy Bridgewater pioneered it. Ryan Tannehill executed it to perfection with the Titans, although I think we all kind of disrespected Ryan Tannehill a little bit in putting him in the Bridgewater campaign because now he's actually a pretty good quarterback. Um, Mitchell Trubisky's doing it right now just in case Josh Allen ever went down. Welcome to that category. Marcus Mariota, Case Keenum, uh, welcome to that category. Jacoby Brissett, you could throw him in the mix. Um, 
for the third time in a row. Welcome to that camp, Sam Darnold. And now for Odell Beckham, because the free Odell campaign has worked. Odell has been freed. He cleared waivers, which was weird, not because I would have thought he would have cleared waivers, but because everyone was making it seem like he was going to get picked up on waivers, and then he didn't get picked up on waivers. Isn't that weird? But Odell Beckham did indeed get picked up, and uh, or I'm sorry, he did not get picked up. He's free to sign with anyone he wants. He's going to wait, presumably, to make the move, and you've seen the usual suspects connected to him, which are Seattle and Green Bay and Baltimore, and I was listening to Bomani Jones talk on Monday on The Right Time, which, you know, it's a pretty good podcast. Obviously, nowhere in the realm of this podcast, but you should check it out, and one of the things he talked about is, like, Odell Beckham is certainly not bad, which I never thought that was the case too. And I don't want to hash the Baker Mayfield versus Odell Beckham conversation because it's very sports radio-y. And I don't like that idea of sports radio-y because one, it brings out racial undertones of Baker Mayfield, white quarterback savior and Odell Beckham flamboyant wide receiver who people have strong opinions about. Uh, Similarly to how we talk about James Harden or Kyrie Irving or Kevin Durant is like, or Draymond Green, it's you you usually have an opinion about those guys. It's hard to not have an opinion about them, and you probably have an opinion about Odell Beckham. Personally, I think Odell Beckham's pretty cool. When Odell Beckham was doing all the stuff with the Giants, I never really like got into the whole Odell Beckham craze where like I watched James Harden play, and he has similar type antics to Odell Beckham where people criticize him for things that really don't matter. But they're kind of funny, so we like to talk about it. Like for Odell, it's kicking nets and uh, dying hair and uh, comments, trashing teammates or whatever it was. I don't even remember which one Odell was at this point where it felt like he was combusting a bit in New York. And for James Harden, it's strip clubs and it's being Lil Baby's imaginary friend and it's being a pot-bellied superstar and, you know, forcing his way out of Houston and... They're things that really don't matter, but people have opinions about them one way or the other because they just do enough to rub someone one way or the other. And so Odell Beckham was never someone who I like adored the way I adored James Harden's game. And it was interesting when he got traded to Cleveland because that type of trade never used to happen. You never saw the star in their prime traded for two first round picks I know it was Jabril Peppers in a first round pick but Peppers was a 28th pick in the draft like the year before so technically the value of a first round pick and that never happened at the time we saw Khalil Mack happen a little later we saw uh, Jalen Ramsey we saw uh, Jamal Adams get traded for two first but uh, and Matthew Stafford again this year but that wasn't happening at the time Odell Beckham got traded and so I found that transaction analysis super fascinating and I think Odell Beckham can still play at a high rate we are at like very well um, and Bomani Jones pointed out the comparison between Odell Beckham and Randy Moss when you talk about Odell going through the first six years of his career, ridiculously talented, dominating the league with the Giants, that feels like Randy Moss with the Minnesota Vikings, where you can build a Hall of Fame resume just based on those first six years in the league. And then moves to the Browns in the case of Odell Beckham and the Raiders in the case of Randy Moss. Both of those franchises not well known for being well run, 
Um, at the time Randy Moss came over, Al Davis, I believe, thought that he was washed by the time he had his second season, but I think that was more a product of the Raiders were really, really bad that year. And so when they hired Lane Kiffin and had the number one pick in the draft, and we're going to take Calvin Johnson if Lane Kiffin had had his way, Al Davis forced him to take Jamarcus Russell, but if he had had his way, then he would have taken Calvin Johnson first. They traded him to the Patriots for first a sixth round pick. This was a great story from Seth Wickersham's book, which I talked about I'm reading through right now. They offered Randy Moss for a sixth, and then Al Davis called Bill Belichick and accused him of like trying to swindle the Raiders. And Belichick said, and I'll bust out the Belichick impression here. Wow. We we are simply accepted an offer that was proposed to us. And we took it one step at a time, and we we accepted your offer for Randy Moss for a sixth round pick. And and when Al Davis refuted it, Belichick came back and said, "Well, um, what would you want him for?" And Al Davis said, fourth round pick." And Bill Belichick accepted the fourth round pick. So Al Davis negotiated up, and Bill Belichick still felt like he was fleecing him out of Randy Moss. And in the case of Odell Beckham, they didn't even have to give up anything for him. Whoever ends up signing him is just going to sign him to a contract at this point, which if you're Odell, I don't know if you want the multi-year contract at this point because it would guarantee you more financial stability because Odell Beckham is not even necessarily in a prove-it situation at this point in his career. Um, It's just a weird place where Odell Beckham is kind of as formed as he's going to be and so Odell Beckham finds himself in a weird place where everyone is supportive of Odell Beckham and at the same time Odell is kind of in a place where no one's willing to make a significant financial commitment hence the fact that they wouldn't trade for the last two years and 23 million dollars of his contract and so maybe Odell goes for a prove-it contract maybe he goes for the one-year deal like Antonio Brown and then Antonio Brown re-upped for cheaper to go back to Tampa Bay all of that to say like there are lots of options there but this could be in the right situation an Odell Beckham having a Randy Moss type of season. And for people who don't remember what the numbers were on those Randy Moss Patriots seasons before he ends up going over to the Titans and the 49ers to finish his career, in three seasons he had 47 touchdowns and three 1,000-yard seasons. 1,500 in the 16-0 season, 1,008 in 2008, and that was the year without Tom Brady, by the way. And in 2009 he had 1,200 and 64. So you're talking about averaging about 1,200 yards and 16 touchdowns a year. I'm not saying that's what Odell Beckham is going to be. I think even I don't have the cojones to go that far, but if you like a good narrative and you like the way how NFL teams make the same mistakes year after year after year after year, you gotta love the parallels of this situation right now between Odell Beckham and the Randy Moss career arc. Maybe Russell Wilson's too far down the line where that's not going to be the case, but Mina Kimes put out a great point. Is like, if you're any team right now, you can get Odell Beckham for basically free. Why would you not get Odell Beckham for free? That is insane, the idea that you can get Odell Beckham for free, and teams would just say, nah, we're good, 
And now Odo Beckham gets to pick exactly the quarterback and exactly the place he wants to go. And the reason we're talking about this, other than just Odell Beckham being a good news story and news grabber, is that this could be a move that actually makes a dramatic swing on the rest of the season. Because nobody else is making that kind of addition where it could be a superstar type of switch for basically nothing at all. Not saying that's going to be the case, but even if Odell becomes a true wide receiver one again, which most people were saying he was the Browns wide receiver one at the start of the season, if Odell becomes a true wide receiver one again, yeah, that swings a good bit in favor of one of these teams, whether it's Green Bay or Seattle or the Saints, eh, not the Saints, sorry Saints fans, sorry Morgan from Australia, doesn't do it for me with the Saints, not if Trevor Semyon's your quarterback, but the Ravens, that would swing it for Odell Beckham, all of that to say there are many, many situations that could pivot, under the best of circumstances, pivot a result in the playoffs, so at this stage of the game where the trade deadline's passed and the next best option available is Josh Reynolds, might be worth it to spend some time paying attention to this Odell Beckham situation as it breaks down over the next week or so. So let's talk about the Dalvin Cook situation, and I'd like to put a couple disclaimers out here on the front end. One, we're recording this late on Tuesday night, so I am a little bit tired. If I misquote here or there, there's going to be some things that happen. It is past my bedtime. Two, this story is broken within the last couple hours, and so there's ongoing details that are going to evolve. So just for the spirit of recording, we are talking about this at 10 p.m. on Tuesday. The podcast is coming out Wednesday morning, and you may be listening to this on Wednesday or maybe even Thursday, Friday. So at this time, we have the emerging details of the Dalvin Cook situation. So if things have changed post 10 o'clock on Tuesday... We don't have the information around that. This is a story that's broken within the past, I would say, two or three hours, and it's really been interesting. So we'll dive into that a little bit here. Um, Those are the two disclaimers. If I miss a word here or there, it's a misstep on my part. I apologize. We're talking about serious matters, and I am working on about like 60% energy, so bear with me a little bit if I misstep something here or there, like I just did right there, not misstep, misspeak something here or there. Um, And at the same time, uh, if we have any new information, we don't have access to it. So this story ends up coming up because of an original Adam Schefter tweet that was really confusing when it first came up, which is that um, Dalvin Cook is the victim of domestic abuse and extortion There's pending litigation, according to his agent, Zach Hiller. And then the follow-up to that is, an incident occurred over one year ago when a female U.S. military sergeant used a stolen garage door opener to enter Cook's home and attack a guest of Cook's and Cook per Hiller. Quote, military sergeant maced Cook directly in his eyes immediately upon illegally entering. And so... What ends up happening after that is immediately dropping after the Adam Schefter report, which feels like damage control because then you have a Dalvin Cook statement released immediately after the Adam Schefter report comes out that Dalvin Cook, here is um, the full quote in its entirety here. The evening of November 29th, 2020, 
U.S. Military Sergeant First Class Graceland Trimble broke into the home of Dalvin Cook and assaulted him and two house guests. Sergeant Trimble and her attorneys are now attempting to extort him for millions of dollars. While Mr. Cook and Sergeant Trimble had a short-term relationship over several months, she became emotionally abusive, physically aggressive, and confrontational, and repeatedly attempted to provoke Mr. Cook. Sergeant Trimble damaged his vehicle on at least two occasions, assaulted him, and attempted to stop him from seeing other women. State of Minnesota applies the Castle Doctrine as it pertains to self-defense, which means when an intruder enters your home, you have the right to defend yourself and your family or guests. This right to self-defense includes the use of deadly force based on the nature of the perceived threat. Sergeant Trimble, unlawfully and without the consent or knowledge of Mr. Cook, entered his residence in Enver Groves Heights. Sergeant Trimble gained entry into Mr. Cook's residence with a stolen garage door opener. Upon entry into the residence, Sergeant Trimble immediately and without provocation physically assaulted Mr. Cook, punched him repeatedly, and maced Mr. Cook directly in the eyes and maced his two house guests. While Mr. Cook was trying to alleviate the burning in his eyes, Sergeant Tremble sprayed a second round of mace and then proceeded to arm herself with a firearm. Sergeant Tremble forced Mr. Cook and his guests at gunpoint to remain in his residence for the next several hours. During this hostage situation, Sergeant Tremble tried again to assault a female guest of Mr. Cook, and when Mr. Cook tried to stop the attack, Sergeant Tremble was knocked to the ground, suffered a small cut above her nose. These facts are confirmed by two independent witnesses. Based on information, Sergeant Tremble has a prior history of violence, including repeated instances of criminal damage to Cook's property. Uh, Sergeant Tremble broke numerous laws on the evening of November 19th, and for the better part of a year, Sergeant Tremble has been attempting to extort money from Mr. Cook, confident a full disclosure of the facts will show Mr. Cook did nothing wrong. Now, the story ends up going further when a lawsuit against Dalvin Cook alleged Cook was violent towards her and uh, at times was abusive in the relationship. And with the lawsuit came the release of screenshots from Instagram where Dalvin Cook is sending messages to the woman saying, I know what I did can't be rewind, which again is just a typo on that part. That's not me being tired. I know what I did can't be rewind, but I just want you to know I'm sorry. I love you so much despite you thinking I don't or never did, but I do. Whatever you need, I'm here for you, and if you want to go to the police, I'll respect that. I'll take my punishment for what I did. To which she responds, Dalvin, my face is so messed up, I probably won't even get to go see my family for Thanksgiving. Dalvin replies, and I'm sorry for that, but the situation just got out of hand from the jump. Can you come back to me? To which she posts a photo and a video of her face with a cut down the nose, a cut at the bottom of her nose, uh, a bruise on her lip, and a swollen forehead. And this ends up being the case for this lawsuit that is now alleging that things are going to be filed this way. And all of a sudden, you have a he said, she said situation that appears to be going further to court. And this story, according to ESPN, is probably going to be played out in litigation because this is a classic he said, she said situation with evidence towards both sides. Now, what's weird about the situation with Dalvin Cook and the woman at his apartment, because again, the text messages said Thanksgiving and the um, statement by the lawyer and his agent say that the incident occurred on November 19th 
if they were dating each other and this appears to be a like breaking and entering situation because the statement from cook and his attorney make it seem like the breaking and entering situation is like someone just stealing a garage door opener and then breaking into the house and immediately macing like this was a planned attack which seems crazy when you think about it in context but also recognize that they dropped that to adam schefter an hour before the report came out that there is a lawsuit being filed, which I think came from people just doing some digging to find out that a lawsuit was going to be filed in Minnesota against Dalvin Cook. And so I want to read the updated ESPN story as of 7.30 at this time. Minnesota Vikings star running back Dalvin Cook allegedly abused a former girlfriend, causing a concussion during an altercation at his home last year. The Star Tribune of Minneapolis reports, citing a lawsuit filed Tuesday. Now, this is me improvising right now. The lawsuit information reported by the Star Tribune of Minneapolis, that report came out an hour after the statement released by Adam Schefter around 4.15 in the afternoon West Coast time, about 5 o'clock, 5.30-ish, we find out that the lawsuit is being filed in Minnesota. So it seems like on the surface, Cook and his agent and his lawyer were getting out ahead of the situation in public perception, as seems to be a popular move when something is going to become public. Back to the ESPN report. The newspaper reported that the woman filed a lawsuit in Dakota County District Court accusing Cook of assault, battery, and false imprisonment for house arrest. However, Cook's attorney, Dave Valentini, says his client was assaulted by a woman after she broke into his residence, saying in a statement Tuesday night that she later tried to extort him for millions of dollars. The Vikings also released a statement saying they, quote, recently received notification from Dalvin Cook's legal representation regarding a situation that occurred between Dalvin and a female acquaintance in November 2020 and led to an ongoing dispute between the parties. Upon learning of this, we immediately notified the NFL. We are in the process of gathering more information and will withhold further comment at this time. In a separate statement, the NFL said it was notified by the Vikings of the matter and would decline further comment. The woman identified herself as Graceland Trimble, a sergeant in the U.S. Army, to the Star Tribune. The newspaper says that according to lawsuit, she flew to Minnesota to break up with Cook and get her belongings from him home from his home when things allegedly turned violent. She accused Cook of giving her a concussion, quote, a concussion, leaving a scar on my face and taking me through hell, according to the Star Tribune. The newspaper said that according to the suit, she used mace on him before going into his bedroom, grabbing his gun and calling a friend for help, leading the running back to attack her with a broomstick, she alleges in the suit. When she returned to Florida after the altercation, she told medical personnel she had been in an ATV accident after seeking treatment for the injuries. Valentini, however, said in a statement Tuesday the women allegedly used a stolen garage door opener to enter his home illegally and then attacked him and a guest there, using mace on him upon entering and forcing Cook and his guest to remain at the resident at gunpoint for hours. Cook's lawyer said that Trimble had been attempting to extort money from Cook ever since. No criminal charges were filed and police were not contacted at the time of the altercation. The Vikings play the Chargers on Sunday, which is just something that ESPN has to throw in there at the very end. And so it's really hard to comment on this situation. And this is a this is a classic he said, she said situation. And we've been through a lot of these in the NFL. I think the NFL is more prepared than they've ever been before for this situation. And this is not like a stereotype of NFL players having domestic disputes. It just feels like we've been through this a lot now. 
And obviously the Deshaun Watson case takes it to a new level. And we've had conversations in the post Me Too world about intimate partner violence and domestic violence, as well as sexual assault in the workplace. And this is all a conversation that comes towards how do we represent women, especially women in a vulnerable position like Tremble is because this we only know this story, similarly to what we were talking about with Henry Ruggs last week. We only know this story because of the famous person involved who happens to score a lot of touchdowns for a mediocre Vikings team. And so this is a chance to have that larger conversation, similarly to DUI, about how we value intimate partner violence and domestic violence in society as a whole. Because Dalvin Cook, again, reflects a mirror similarly to how we talked about the Ezekiel Elliott situation, which was convoluted and confusing, and Josh Brown, and of course Ray Rice, and uh, Darius Geis in relation to the LSU scandal, and how we treat just abuses of women in a male-dominated industry, especially when the situation, like with Dalvin Cook, becomes a he said, she said situation where we just don't have the information. And in terms of the, you know, the will Dalvin Cook play or Dalvin Cook not play, which is weird to talk about the football context in this situation, but this one, given the information we have now, appears like this is less of a larger societal issue and more of a intimate partner violence situation where both sides find themselves in a he said she said battle and we don't know what to do now just for the spirit of disclosure um in these situations i overwhelmingly tend to believe the women in this situation especially when we're talking about a women uh, a woman who has nothing to gain in this situation other than the classic case of gold digger trying to extort someone and in this case we're talking about a situation where women overwhelmingly do not lie in this situation, and she's going to go through the public shaming of men, and I know that there might be women involved, but overwhelmingly men, men going to send personal threats to her and find her address and send death threats and things like that because how dare you try and smear the good name of Dalvin Cook, this hero that we look up to in sports and all of that. But I tend to believe the women in these situations because I might be wrong sometimes, but not believing the women makes me way more wrong than believing the women in... than. Not believing women makes you wrong like 90% of the time or 95% of the time in comparison to being wrong every now and then in a situation where it is an extortion because those are very minimal situations, especially because these cases with famous people, yes, Dalvin Cook has a lot of money, but the public shame of that I doubt is worth it when you talk about the money and the process and the psychological trauma that has to go through this, especially if this is intimate partner violence where she has to relive this trauma on a national scale now because, again, this story is national because of the perpetrator being famous in the situation. And so to put all of that in context back to the football thing, it doesn't look like Dalvin Cook is going to be put on the exempt list, nor should Dalvin Cook be put on the exempt list at this point. The exempt list exists as a public perception tool in the NFL. If we want to talk about moral obligations in this case, which I think is always important because we should strive for a more moral objective situation in football, if we want to talk about that moral objective of the NFL, I think that's a different conversation that is difficult in this situation because this seems to be a cut and dry case that we've been through. Usually, I mean, we litigated in society all the time and we have personal connections to people who go through intimate partner violence and we hear stories about this all the time, especially within the context of sports that 
you know, I wish would help people better understand these situations and how we should try and support the women in this situation and support the people who are victims of intimate partner violence, which can be men, but overwhelmingly is women in this context when we're talking about a league that is overwhelmingly heterosexual or at least gives the implication of heterosexuality. Um, Again, we only know of one gay player in the NFL, so we're talking about overwhelmingly a locker room full of men having intimate partner violence against women because the NFL is 99.9% men who are 99.9% perceived to be straight. So we're overwhelmingly in this case talking about men and women. There are obviously cases of men against men, women having intimate partner violence with other women, um, uh, women being violent towards men. All of these situations exist. We're specifically talking about that within this context because it is overwhelmingly men against women in this case. So if I interchange those, again, that's the context for that. In terms of the larger societal conversation, this feels like it's going to be a cut and dry case in the absence of information. Now, this will be litigated in court and most of the documents sealed in a non-disclosure agreement. And all of this is going to play out in a he said, she said situation that is a classic case of do you believe women or do you not believe women? That's just a classic case of what this is going to be. And so when we talked last week about Henry Ruggs and when we talked last week about Aaron Rodgers and when we had uh, conversations about Deshaun Watson and Trevor Bauer, it felt like these were cases that lacked precedent in recent history. But this case feels like it's more cut and dry when we talk about intimate partner violence. And similarly to where you can say the obvious thing around intimate partner violence or any of these larger societal issues or say the thing that we all know and get praise like um, Terry Bradshaw saying Aaron Rodgers lied or people going on TV and saying, don't drink and drive, buy an Uber, you have millions of dollars. Saying the obvious thing is going to get you lots of praise, but at the same time, saying the obvious thing doesn't forward the conversation anymore. And so this is where the conversations about intimate partner violence can, and in our society, and especially in sports, I feel like we do more of a conversation around this because this isn't as unprecedented a situation. You know, we've been through Darius Geis, we've been through Ray Rice, we've been through Josh Brown and uh, Ezekiel Elliott in football specifically. And you could go down the line to other sports as well. I know baseball has had cases like Aroldis Chapman and Domingo Herman and, uh, you know, the list goes on. I'm just very tired right now. So uh, even still, uh, the point being in this context, we can further the conversation by talking about this. But this one feels a little too cut and dry where we know that this is going to be litigated in court. And for the football side of it, like to, to bring that in here, because I feel like this is more appropriate than the Deshaun Watson situation because this is a, an absence of information conversation. And maybe over the next few days, we'll gather more information and realize this is a real traumatic case of intimate partner violence with real victims in this case of abuse. Uh, specifically, this would be the woman being abused by Dalvin Cook. And in that context, Dalvin Cook being a public-facing figure, now subjecting her to the scrutiny of that as she tries to get some form of closure from a lawsuit in this situation because it, t- it takes a lot of bravery to come forward in these situations. Even if it's an extortion attempt, if you want to talk about the 5% thing, it's still, you're going to go through hell in that event. So it makes me believe that this is a case of 
Dalvin Cook's lawyers getting ahead of the situation and the woman coming in afterwards with the lawsuit that they knew was coming and so they wanted to get out ahead with the agent of Dalvin Cook, mind you, sending the statement to Adam Schefter, followed up with a pre-prepared statement of their accounts that I assume they will go to court to argue. And so to bring the football conversation back into focus... I don't think that this is a moment where the moral obligation is going to supersede this because it is not a high-profile situation. If Deshaun Watson doesn't merit the exempt list, and Adrian Peterson graphically did merit the exempt list, and Ezekiel Elliott didn't merit the exempt list but got a five-game suspension, this feels like a very cut-and-dry case where Dalvin Cook is going to litigate this in court and because this is not a major infraction, I don't think there's a situation where the NFL needs to intervene on behalf of justice. And we don't need to prevent Dalvin Cook from making money at this point. Simply because there is an absence of information. There is an absence of information in a singular case where, the, the again, we go through this quite often. This is a process that I feel like we've had a lot of conversations around. Anyone can file a lawsuit under this situation. Again, it just happens to be that Dalvin Cook is a high-profile figure with a story that has salacious details like macing in the eyes and flipping the woman through a table and breaking her face, and Dalvin Cook talking about how he's willing to live with the consequences of beating her up and how he still loves her, which suggests that she was on her way to break up with Dalvin Cook, but I also understand this is my preconceived notions uh, and biases working at play, so maybe... Maybe that is something that is going to be proven wrong in the long run. I don't think that's going to be the case, but there's just an absence of information here. Dalvin Cook's going to continue to play for the Minnesota Vikings. They're going to litigate the situation in court. And maybe after all is said and done, the NFL decides to intervene. But if this is a case where there's a one-time incident going back to November 19th, and that's all we have in terms of information right now, Dalvin Cook's going to play on Sunday. Assuming he's healthy, because that's always another question with Dalvin Cook. Dalvin Cook's going to play on Sunday. Dalvin Cook's probably going to play the week after that, because these things seem to litigate over a long time. This is just, in the absence of information leading the NFL to a public relations decision, Dalvin Cook will probably continue to be employed. And I think that that's probably the right move. This is hard to figure out, because I fully recognize, like, my moral standards might not be the same. I have white privilege. I have male privilege in this situation. I have the privilege of not being in a position where I have to make decisions around someone's financial incentives and trying to make big-time justice decisions. But I think that the decision to keep moving forward and not applying public pressure on this is probably the right call, given the information that we have at 1021 West Coast time Tuesday in this Dalvin Cook situation. Now, if there are more reports that Dalvin Cook had repeated instances of domestic abuse and uh, more screenshots emerge of Dalvin Cook beating up his girlfriend or committing intimate partner violence, that changes the conversation around this. And at the same time, we just don't have the information right now. It's just an interesting story that has emerged and is going to create salacious details because it seemed like, from the, the preface, that Dalvin Cook was extorted and held at hostage by gunpoint by a woman who was just a psychopath. And if people don't look into the details after that story got out, then Dalvin Cook's attorneys are winning the public relations situation. And the people who probably don't go and look at the other details of the story are probably people who, well, one, are men, 
but two, are also preconceived to not believe women in this situation because the salacious detail is what pops off the screen and triggers a memory. But when we're talking about intimate partner violence with photos of a woman having cuts under her nose, cuts on the bridge of her mouth, bleeding down the side of her face, and a bruised forehead from allegedly being flipped into a coffee table, then that is where you are going to see an intimate partner violence situation that resonates with some, but doesn't resonate with others. And I think just in the absence of information, people are going to fall into their preconceived notions. For me, that leads towards believing women, and the screenshots seem pretty irrefutable. I also recognize Dalvin Cook's attorneys had an incentive to get out ahead of the situation. The fact that the lawsuit came within an hour of the statement being released and the pre-prepared statement to Adam Schefter states or gives me the impression that Dalvin Cook is going to uh, that Dalvin Cook is going to face a Dalvin Cook is probably doing damage control and that they were informed that there was a lawsuit on the way and the dueling allegations are now being reported by Adam Schefter but at the same time it is not it seems that the NFL is not exactly going the the NFL propagandists want to defer this story and keep it quiet. And sometimes the way to do that is to hone on the idea that this is an extortion attempt. There are three Adam Schefter tweets discussing the extortion, which I think is because that was what he was informed of first, because they wanted to put that story out there in terms of Dalvin Cook's agent and Dalvin Cook's attorney. We have uh, one, two, three tweets from Adam Schefter about the Dalvin Cook situation, and then followed up by a singular tweet on the, quote, dueling allegations between Dalvin Cook and an ex-girlfriend. And so this is where the NFL propagandist goes away, and this is where reliable journalism, not Adam Schefter, is important to start looking into the situation where you can find the texts from Dalvin Cook's girlfriend, and you can find the uh, allegations in the lawsuit like what we detailed in the ESPN story. And so this is where dueling reports in the absence of information is going to push people towards their corners. My default is to believe the woman in this situation. I think it's very important that we support women in this situation, and I think that there's enough evidence here to support the fact that this may be damage control from a camp that has an incentive and a woman coming forward bravely to voice her concerns about intimate partner violence. Maybe there will be new information that comes out in the next weeks or something, um, and the situation itself is also not grave enough where I think we need intervention from the NFL on behalf of justice. I think this is a case that has been played out many a times in the legal system. The legal system will sort through the facts, and there doesn't need to be a situation where justice is served by preventing Dalvin Cook from playing football for, as I mentioned before, a very mediocre Minnesota Vikings football team. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for stopping in here to the Take It Easy podcast. We have episodes every single day, Monday through Friday, as well as Wired Up on Sundays. Uh, make sure to download, leave a five-star review. doesn't have to be a nice review, just has to be a five-star review. I'm sure we'll, we'll keep litigating this Dalvin Cook story as it goes along. But thank you for stopping in today, and uh, I hope you have a fantastic day. And take it easy, everybody. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.